Awesome. Thank you, Eric. I love you, man. Let's jump into this word. Turn with me. Keep playing for me, Jeremy. In case you don't want to hear, if, if, if I feel more anointed today, it's because we got Jeremy on the keys. This is my boy, Jeremy Menando. We've been friends for like at least 10 years, way more than that. Um, but this guy's legit. If you don't know him, look up Passion Jeremy. He's amazing. Get his music. He'll be with us in about a month to come and sing and, and minister to us. So it'll be fun. Turn with me to um, 2 Peter chapter 2. Um, you can go ahead and put that slide up for me and just keep playing for another minute. Um, but we're starting a series today for the next few weeks titled Set Apart. We're going to be talking about consecration and holiness and all these deep, heavy terms. And I'm going to hopefully teach it in a way where you realize that your call is not just to be holy, uh, but there's a reason behind it. There's, there's purpose behind why God's calling you to be holy, all right? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2 through 10. And if you don't have it, it's going to pop up right on your screen. And just in case, I, I wore this shirt. I was gonna wear a different outfit, but it's the second Sunday of the new year and I just wanted to make sure people knew that black lives still matter. Second yeah. Peter chapter two. Verse, <laughs> I just felt some folks log off, it's all right. The Lord loves you. He loves you, he really does. And black people, he really loves black people. You race baiter. <laughs> Weirdos. Second Peter chapter two, here's what it says. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up to be a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, verse six. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Let me stop for a second and we're gonna finish reading there because that was a lot of verses. But what we're seeing up until this point is that the scriptures are telling us that different people have different perspectives on who Jesus is, depending on their relationship with him. Because he is a rock, but for some, he's a rock of offense, and for others, he's a chief cornerstone. It has everything to do with your relationship dynamic with the Christ. So that's what we're seeing here before we get to verse nine, is that he's saying that Jesus is the rock, but he's a different kind of rock for a different kind of people. If you know him, if you love him, if you serve him, then he's the chief cornerstone. And if you've rejected him, then he is the, 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 the stone that the builders rejected. Uh, he's a rock of offense, the scripture calls it here. So I just wanted to bring clarity so we don't get lost in all those verses. Now, let's come to the popular verse, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, last verse, verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Without your power and your anointing, I can do no preaching. So Lord, I need the kind of anointing that breaks yokes. 
I need you to anoint me to preach your word, and I need your people to be anointed to receive it. So God, would you hide me behind the cross and under the blood that your people would be edified, you Jesus glorified and Satan terrified. And when it's all said and done, God, I won't pass out a business card. I'll just lift my hands up and say thank you. So have your way today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. That was kind of weak. Everybody said amen. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Come back up in a minute and make me feel romantic with some of those stylings. We're starting a series today called Set Apart. And the term set apart is really the definition, the biblical definition of holiness, that when he says uh, be holy, that term there, it's translated to mean set apart, uh, different. But I think a lot of times, especially for those of us who grew up in church, the term holy is a four-letter word that comes with a whole lot of different connotations. And it's this lofty idea that seems to be based on morality and behavior. And, and some of that can be true, but I'm going I'm to hopefully paint a picture for you of what holiness really is and why God's calling us to be a people who are holy. Now, it's important we do this in the beginning of the year, and I think there's something important about the way that you start a thing. Um, How you start something will really set the precedent for how you even finish a thing. And so at the beginning of the year, because I saw posts like, just because it's a new year doesn't mean things have changed. I mean, they can. Like, and if you're one of those people, just let us have some joy. It's like, we have all these social media joy killers. It's like, I put up a post, man, new year, I'm believing God. Just because it's a new year don't mean it's a different, like, go away, Satan. Back to what I was saying. But I think it's important to talk about this in the beginning of the year, um, especially in the, in the scriptures. There's something about consecrating the first. That's even the power of the tithe, that it's not about money. It's about the consecration of the first, which releases blessing for the rest, right? And so there's something important about January and starting this month off with fasting and praying because, uh, and I told our team this a little bit earlier, I said, I grew up with the idea that fasting was the idea that you were twisting God's arm. But now as I start developing and maturing in my faith, I'm realizing that that fasting actually twists my arm. Uh, It it aligns me rightly with the Lord. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks when we talk about fasting and praying. But I think it's important to start off the year talking about consecration and being set apart because didn't 2020 take us by storm? (sighs) Many of us were not prepared for what was going down in the rest of the year. And I think part of that is because we as a people have fallen away from intimacy with the Lord. At the the end of the day, we don't have the prayer lives that the old saints used to have. Uh, There was a day where I remember growing up, you could not walk around without seeing one of the old saints with a big old Bible in their hand. And it's like, we have a thousand Bibles in our hands and we're still not reading them, right? And we're the most depressed culture. We're the most bound generation. We have all these different issues and we have plenty of therapists. And I've got nothing wrong with therapists. I think every Christian needs at least three. Therapy is great, but there are some things that you can only get in the place of prayer. It's real quiet in this Baptist church. It's making me nervous. There there are some things that you can't get at a doctor's office that you can only get at the altar. There are some things that you can't get uh, with your best friend that you can only get with a friend of all friends. There are some things that only Jesus can do, and there's some places that only Jesus can satisfy, but because we've allowed our longings to be leaned on other things in this world, not only have we injured our walk in relationship with God, but we've become out of alignment spiritually, and so we can't break the spirit of depression. We can't seem to clearly hear from the Lord And it's not that God doesn't desire to speak to us. It's not that God doesn't desire. He died so that he could be with us. But I think there are some things in the way that are causing disruption 
in our walk with Christ, and I think holiness is the solution. When I read 2 Peter chapter 2, it's an interesting analogy that Peter sets us up with here because he's about to call us stones, but before he calls us stones, he calls Christ a stone. Now, I've been to Israel, and so I kind of see this from a different perspective. Me and our worship director, Chris, we were in Israel, and we noticed when we got to Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv's not that, you know, it, it looks like LA. There's graffiti and all that kind of stuff everywhere. But when we got to Jerusalem, I noticed that there was a dynamic change where everywhere there was stone. Every building was made out of stone, and I kind of found out that they keep the regulations of the old school days where everything that's being built still needs to be built out of stone. But I find it interesting that Peter uses the idea of a stone and relating that to Christ because there are three things that I find true about the stones in Israel that I don't find true of Jesus. Number one, stones are common in Israel. You can't walk two feet without finding another pebble or a rock or a stone. It's not like he was talking about something that's special and you only have one. He should have said Jesus is a tree because there's like three trees in all of Israel. No, he said he's a, a stone. He's something common. Not only that, stones aren't living. They're dead. And if anybody has ever conquered death, it, it's Jesus. And, and not only that, they're not even valuable. And when I think about Jesus, what wouldn't I sell for him? You talk about that, Visa has, in the name of Visa, no, no, no. Jesus has nothing to be compared to on there. Yet Peter compares him to a stone. But he says something interesting. He says he's not just a stone. He's the living stone. That he took something that was dead, common, and not valuable, and brought life into it, and became a living stone, and why is Peter telling us that? Because in just a moment, he's about to put a comma and says, and you as well were dead, were common, and you were not valuable. But he made you living stones. I don't know a better picture for salvation than this and the kingdom, because not only does Peter tell us in 2 Peter chapter 2 that we are living stones, he says we're living stones for a purpose, that we are called to build the sanctuary, the temple. Now, it's interesting because he says Jesus is a rock of offense for those who don't believe, meaning he's a, a stumbling block. This is why some of your friends, they can hear you talking about Jesus and they just don't get it because they don't have that kind of relationship with him. They don't see him for who he is. And so there's stumbling that comes. There, there's a fence that comes. But for those of us who believe, he's not the rock of offense. He's the chief cornerstone. Now, when you hear that, you like me, we don't build stuff. <laughs> we, we call somebody and they build stuff. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, chief cornerstone, I don't even know what that means. I had to um, call a friend, Google. And I had to look up all this stuff about building in, in their time. And what I found out is that cornerstones were actually not a small little brick that I had imagined in my head. In my head, I imagined like, kind of like we have bricks here, just a little brick. But it's like, no, no, no that sometimes a lot of these cornerstones would be 15 feet wide, 15 feet tall, and they were, how do I put this in simplest terms? They were shape created in a way for that specific building, and, and please stay with me on this, 
And every stone after had to be built around the building of the chief cornerstone. That the chief cornerstone was the priority in the building and all of the other bricks were to be shaped and formed similar to the chief cornerstone and placed in relationship to the chief. So Jesus is the living, I didn't mean to get too excited this fast. He's the living stone and he's made us living stones so that now we have become the building of the temple of Christ. So it's important that we see ourselves as stone. Now, I, I need Levente to put up that, video, that picture right now. It's coming up on your screen. And as you see, these are rocks, but they're not laying down. They're standing up. Now, when you look at these rocks and these stones, you, you look at it and you go, somebody had to move it. Like, it, it didn't just stand up. You know, it had to be moved. I don't know if you're dating, but I just want to tell a couple folks, if you're saved, it's only because Jesus stood you up. <laughs> it's only because Jesus stood you up. Pastor Dale, what the heck are you talking about? Look at, look at Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. Some of you are like, I, Jesus has never stood, up, stood me up. He stood you up. Watch this. Joshua chapter 4, verse 22. Actually, let me, let me read Joshua chapter 4, verse 4. Y'all still with me? Okay, awesome. I got at least three people. Then Joshua called the 12 men who he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, and Joshua said to him, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time, saying, what do these stones mean? And look at verse seven. Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. The children of Israel were great at remembering. I, I, they were great at recording, I should say. They would often forget about the goodness and the grace of God. But I read this story because this miraculous thing happens where God shows up and, and God instructs Joshua and Joshua instructs the people, I want you to set up some stones and these are stones of remembrance. And what I want you to do is, and Joshua tells him, I want 12 men, you're each gonna carry a stone and set it up right here, similar to the stones you just saw a minute ago. And why? Because one day, some children are gonna walk along and they're gonna see these stones and they're gonna say, why are these up here? Because you're going to obviously look at these standing stones and go, somebody must have stood them up. That is the testimony of the believer. I, let, let me paint it, because I'm getting excited before I'm preaching. I'm getting excited in my head. Let me go back to, to, to stones being common. He calls us stones because stones are absolutely ordinary, but he's getting ready to tell us in verse nine how being a living stone actually makes us different and we're separate from, from everybody else. And I say that to jump back to Joshua chapter four because you have these stones that Joshua has set up and he's setting them up for the future so that when other people come and see the stones, somebody's gonna have to ask, who stood these stones up? This should be the testimony of every believer that when you're at your job, who stood you up? 
Yeah, yeah, you're a stone, you're in flesh and blood, but there's something standing on the inside of you. It's like what Peter said when he was sitting next to Jesus, and Jesus, I talked about this the other week, where Jesus basically says, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood, and nobody's been to seminary, so they don't know he's talking and a lot, uh, metaphorically, and everybody gets up and leaves, they unfriend him, they block him on Instagram, they don't follow his blog, and Jesus, like a boss, looks at Peter and goes, you gonna leave me too? And Peter goes, you know, I flunked out of every Bible college I ever <laughs> enrolled in, and I don't have any clue what you're talking about. And then Peter says this one thing. He says, but every time you speak, life comes on the inside of me. That's the difference between us and the world. It's not our clothes. <laughs> it, it's not our songs. It's the fact that there is life in these stony bodies, and we're standing up. I was, I was sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, yet Jesus was able to breathe life, that life that Peter felt every time Jesus spoke, that life was now. Jesus has this awkward ability to take the common and to add his super and make it supernatural. And so he says to guys like Peter, I know you're a fisherman, but watch this, I'm about to make you a fisher of men. I say this because our idea of holiness is this lofty, pious idea of people wearing robes and collars and preachers and Jesus, through Peter, paints this picture that holiness has nothing to do with your external. It has everything to do with who stood you up. That you're holy as I am holy because I made you holy. I'm going to show you this in a second. Look at 2 Peter, and let's look at verse 9. I hope you all getting something today. Verse 9. But, somebody shout But. We need more butts in the church. I say this because when you, and, I, and I'm just tired of encouraging people every week, so let me just get on my soapbox for a minute. Learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Learn how to put a, insert a butt into the middle of your situation no matter what's happening. That was just a freebie, has nothing to do with my message. I just needed somebody to stop crying every week and just put a butt in there, right? But, verse nine, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're peculiar people. At no point does he say you are a peculiar person. You are a real priest. There's three things I want to kind of fight with you on today when it comes to holiness. And this is all going to make sense in just a moment. Number one, I want to talk to you about the idea of me versus we. Now, this is hard for us in America to understand because we have been taught our whole life about a personal relationship with Jesus, and there's truth to that. But when I read both the Old and New Testament, Jesus is often talking to the church. He's talking to the body. He's not talking singularly. And I think sometimes we mess up on our call in God because we only think singularly and not corporately. And here, he says, you're a royal priesthood, you're a peculiar people, you're a holy nation, and none of those are singular. You can't be a chosen generation by yourself. The other flip side of that is we have to stop saying when one person hurts us that the church hurt us, because the church is not one person. Amen, amen, amen. I forgot to bring my amens today. I'll bring them next week, though. Um, I say this because we have to start seeing ourselves as the collective body of Christ. Our holiness is not just displays in our individual walk with God. As a matter of fact, I've realized that there are seasons of sanctification that God will take you through. Marriage is a sanctification. 
God will sanctify you and make you more like him in marriage. Ministry. If you need to be humble, go be a pastor. Because <laughs> if the Holy Spirit doesn't humble you, his people will. <laughs> it's like all of these different states, being a parent, another area of sanctification. But I say this because a lot of our holiness is not produced when we're alone. A lot of our holiness and our sanctification gets produced when we're in a relationship with others because when other people trigger us, we have the opportunity to either say it's their fault or to lay that trigger before the Lord and say, God, there's an area where I'm not like you. There's an area where I'm impatient. There's an area, I, I, I do this all the time because one of my struggles is I am so impatient and I get frustrated easily and I'm constantly laying that before the Lord because I could say it's that person's fault and it's that person, and sometimes I do, Lord help me. But I need to learn more to get to the place where I'm laying it down before the Lord and I'm not blaming other people for my brokenness, but I'm allowing the relationships that God is developing in my life to make me more like him. Some of you are trying to escape from relationships that are actually called to sanctify you. <sighs> this is gonna be a tough word today, I see. Um, there's a measure of sanctification that you won't be able to participate in, if that's the right word I wanna use. If you just see your walk with God as me and you don't see it as we. When Peter, in the first few verses of 2 Peter, he doesn't say that you are a singular stone. He said, no, you're living stones meant to build the temple of the Lord, that we are doing this thing collectively, but why? Because there's sanctification in community. I won't talk too much into that. In a few weeks, Andrew's gonna talk about consecrated community, and we'll dive more into that. But one of the things that I'm realizing is that I can't, if I run away from community, I run away from sanctification. I say that because I know we have a lot of isolated people in this season, and it's gotten real comfortable, and it feels good to not have people bother you. But I need you to start re-engaging community so that God can start pointing out areas, showing areas where you still got to look more like him. All right? The, the second thing I want to deal with in verse 9 is not just the, the battle between me versus we. It's the battle of chosen versus choosing. Chosen versus choosing, because 2 Peter says you are a chosen generation. Look at John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear good fruit. Now, this is not an argument of Armenianism. Armenianism I'm, say the word for me so I can say it. He said it. It's on the screen. I keep getting tongue-tied. Uh, versus Calvinism. This is not, I'm not trying to argue a doctrinal position. I'm just trying to argue the fact that you don't make good choices. <laughs> I, we can look at your dating history and decide that you don't make good choices. You and I, as humans, don't make good choices. This is why it says his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And I grew up in a kind of Pentecostal fashion. Maybe you did too. And I grew up with the testimonies where people would say, I just found the Lord as if he was lost and he's never been lost. I know what we mean, but we say this idea as if we chose the Lord or we chose our destiny or we chose, and it's like, no, 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 friend, you're not good enough to make good decisions. It is the Lord who chose you. Why is that important? Because it's no longer holiness based on what I did. It's now holiness based on what he did. See, if it's about me and my choosing, my behavior, then if it's, it's kind of like this. Come here, Lisa, really quick. <laughs> you know you can go up the stairs. You always want to show us that you do CrossFit. So... What color is this uh, sweater? Gray. Gray? Okay. It's beautiful, by the way. Thank you. So 
If, because this is the idea that we have, that our righteousness, our holiness, who we are in God, we actually chose it. And so, uh, you know, I'm gonna use a guy, because you're a girl, I realize I need a guy. Chris, come here really quick. This is what happens when you don't think your examples through before you preach, all right? So I'm gonna use Chris, because I saw the shirt she has on, I wanna keep her holy, all right? Um, <laughs> holiness is not based on what you wear, all right? Now, here's what the Bible says how you get holy. How do you get holy? It is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how we, we get holy, that, that we have been clothed in his righteousness. But many of us have the idea that we chose holiness, that we chose God, that we chose him. And, and there might be truth to you acknowledging his invitation or accepting and receiving his invitation, but we have to get out of the mindset of our doing and our behavior being the thing that makes us holy. In verse nine, he's pointing out a couple things. He's saying, one, your holiness is not just displayed singularly, it's, it's, it's displayed corporately, but number two, it's not your own choosing. It is actually the Lord who made you holy. Why am I having Chris up here? Because here's, take your jacket off for a second. Your jacket is gonna, he's single too, so ladies, freebie. All right. <laughs> not gonna go there. Bad. So, so th here's the deal. This is holiness. Let me have it for a second. I'm the Lord. Makes sense. Um, and here's what we think. We think holiness is one day we came to an altar, gave our heart to the Lord, and we saw holiness and we just chose it. And we put it on and, and now we're a worship leader extraordinaire because look at us, we chose holiness. And this is why you struggle with condemnation. Because anything you start in your effort, you've got to keep up in your effort. Yeah. We preach John 3.16, but we never talk about 3.17. For God didn't come into the world to condemn the world but through him, I, I, you know, I preach hard at this church. I tell enough jokes to make you smile so I know where to punch. And somebody came to me and they said to me one day, they said, I just don't like you preaching. I was like, join the club. They said, um, it's just so much condemnation. I said, oh, you're not a believer. They said, no, I'm a believer, but that sermon had so much condemnation. I said, that doesn't make sense. You can't be a believer and condemned at the same time. I said, yeah, you can. I was like, then the scripture is incorrect when it says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can try to condemn me, but it's illegal in the kingdom because I'm in Christ. Yes. You know how many hellfire and brimstone preachers I've been under and I've never felt condemned? I never walk away feeling weird because I know who I am. I'm confident in who I am, but that is something that the Lord has done. All right, let me jump back because y'all didn't like that little metaphor. But this is how we sit, and, and so we sit, and here's what we do with condemnation. We start making other people feel bad that they were not good enough to pick the jacket that we picked. So why is your jacket too short? Why aren't you wearing a white jacket on communion Sunday? Where's your collar, because you're a preacher. Have your what do you mean? You got ripped jean jacket, you new age preacher? Very good, because you want to do as the Lord does, right? <laughs> but can I show you, let me see the jacket again. But can I show you the reality of the situation? The reality of the situation is, this was not attractive to you. You had no desire to be like God. That when you, were an, when you and I were an enemy to the Lord, he yet died for our trespasses and sin. We barely had enough in us to accept his invitation, let alone his choosing. And I say this because anything that you start in your strength, you have to maintain in your strength. And so when it comes to condemnation in our own works, we're putting on jacket. And here's what happens. One day, your jacket's going to get dirty. Yeah. 
and you'll feel like your relationship with the Lord is dirty because this was in your own words. And so you'll sit here, oh, let me do 15 more Hail Marys, three more Our Fathers, a couple of days in fasting, and that's it. I had somebody come in, we were a bunch of pastors, we were sitting around and we were talking about, um, you know, sometimes in leadership you'll have people who follow you who have moral failings, they fall and have sex, and a pastor friend of mine, he says, oh, I never put a time limit on whenever we're going to walk somebody in restoration, because I was used to, you know, like, you get a six-month time or one year, he goes, no, 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 I never put a time limit, I was like, why? He goes, because some people take six months, David took three days. Wait, what? He's like, David took three days, I was what do you mean? You remember, David slept with Bathsheba, had sex outside of marriage, on top of that, started a telenovela because he invites Bathsheba's husband back. It's a whole, just go read your Bible. If you read your Bible, you'll need less soap operas. It's wild. David messed up big time, and all he had to do was sincerely fall on his face for three days, and everything was restored back to him. Because it's not this idea of what do I have to do to be holy. It's no, no, no. Jesus, no, see, you're trying to still do it in your own strength. And that's what we do. That's what we do. We're going to help God out. Come on, Lord. Let me give you my hand. And here's the thing. Your hands don't work without him. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Your, your, Your worship means nothing if it doesn't have him. You can sing every song and it'll be no better than a karaoke song if he's not in it. You're, you're preaching. It's so funny. People get impressed with their preaching. Why? God doesn't get impressed. He is the word. I say this because, and I, that was a perfect, perfect illustration, because many times while God is trying to clothe us in his righteousness and his strength, we're trying to help him out. So we get a little bit of Jesus encouragement on Sunday morning, and then we put all of our striving and efforts on Monday through Friday. And here's what God says, as a matter of fact, you're not your own righteousness. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You didn't choose this. I chose this generation. You are a chosen Generation. Thanks, Chris. His Instagram handle is. Uh... So in verse nine, we see this, this sanctification process happens when we step from me to we. We see it happens when we have a revelation that we're not doing the choosing, but we've been chosen. And then number three, what I'm seeing here is this idea of belonging versus behaving belonging versus behaving. Because in verse nine, at no point does he tell them to change their behavior. He just speaks into them their identity. Don't we do the opposite? I mean, I was a youth pastor for years until the Lord delivered me. <laughs> and, and I remember every time, because you know what we do, and Andrew, I know you were a youth pastor. Eric and Shawana, you, I know you guys hooked it up in, in youth for a while. And what do we do when we sit our young person down? We have that one talk with him, and it's usually a little 15-year-old kid who's scared out of his mind. And I, I used to sit him down, and I go, tell me who you are. Are you giving me a close-up, Levente? Give me a close-up right here, because I want it to be, this is my youth pastor, serious. We've got to find out your deepest, darkest sin right here. It was, uh, tell me who you are. And he'd be like, oh, I'm 16, I'm so-and-so. It's like, no, no, no. When nobody's looking, when it's dark all around, Who are you really? And you know why I used to ask that, Andrew? Because I grew up with a theology that you are who you are at your worst. I think you missed that. Many of us identify the true version of who we are as the worst version of who you are. So whatever sin problem you have in the dark, whatever addiction you have, that's who you really are. I don't care about all that stuff on the stage. It's not, wait, no, 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 no. That's not what God says, not in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, it's not behave so you can belong. 
It's no, no. Learn who you are so that you can belong and your behaving will change. For those of you who know my testimony, I struggled with sexual immorality and addiction for years until one day I had a revelation. I remember praying and I just had this thought, and I don't know if it formed into words, but I had this, this thought that kind of turned into a prayer before the Lord. And I just thought, if I could just stop looking at porn, then I'll be holy. And I heard the Holy Spirit whisper, if you'll be holy, you'll stop looking at porn. <laughs> Here I was focused on my behavior and the whole time Christ has been focused on my identity. Maybe this is why this generation gets so depressed because every week I'm talking, about, talking to people about their purpose and their calling and what they've been called to do. And the Lord's just been changing all of that revelation from that, Della, it's not about your, your preaching skill. It's not about your, how well you can counsel or do the things. No, no, no. It's the fact that you're my son, that those gifts are expressed. I think about the, we call them the fruits of the spirit, spirit but the Bible calls it the fruit of the spirit. And you know those fruits of the loving kindness and tender, uh, uh, dang, I just went for a blank. Throw out some of the fruits of the spirit. Self-control, self oh, you would call out that one first for me. Self-control, peace. See, he's a real Christian. He knows them all. <laughs> um, and, and oftentimes I look at that and I go, man, I just need to grow in patience. And the Lord said, no, 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 you need to grow in my spirit. No, no, no. I, I got all the other stuff. The other eight, I got pretty good. But this patience one, Lord, I need your help on the. No, 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 Dale. You don't understand that all of these are what you see when someone has the Spirit in them. That the fruit, not the fruits, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is that you're going to see patience, you're going to see kindness, you're going to see mercy, you're going to see all these things begin to appear. And there's this revelation that I don't need to behave to become holy, I need to become holy and watch my behavior shift. That's all of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, even with the stones and all that stuff. What can stones do? Nothing. They can't prop themselves up. Yet I watch people preach and give testimonies as if they're super Christians because I haven't looked at porn for a year. It's like, and we celebrate purity. We celebrate all of it. But we don't celebrate your merit and your, your earnestness and your striving because the day you think that your actions are what equate to holiness. You've made the works of Christ void. It's Jesus who made you holy. Look at this verse, verse, look at verse nine really quick and I've, I've got six minutes. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that's the title of this message today because I looked up that word peculiar because I thought it meant strange. And so I was, you know, me and Andrew, I'm always trying to get him to come up with creative sermon titles. So this one is going to be Stranger Things or since it's holiness, it's Stranger Thing, you know. But the word peculiar there doesn't mean strange. It doesn't mean weird, though we are. <laughs> we are a very peculiar people. What it means, it's almost like when I was reading it, they were saying that the original text, it almost expresses it like a kid who's in the middle of a, of a plaything and there's all these toys, but then there's this one that is his. And that one, because it's his and it's his, his special one, that is peculiar. And that same feeling around childlikeness is the word described here for peculiar. That when he sees you and I, 
when he looks at his church, and the church ain't looking too great right now. (laughs) We're a mess right now. But when he sees it, he sees a special people, all his own, a peculiar people, a people who have been holy, means set apart, who have been made different, not by the clothes that they wear or the behaviors that they have, because we have the same jobs as the world. We shop at the same stores as the world. The difference with us has to do with how we're standing. That's what makes us holy, that Jesus came and stood us up. And that's why when the world is depressed, I'm not depressed, because I'm in this world, but not of it. See, we think that means sex. Can, holiness is more than sex. Holiness is about being like God. If, if you equate holiness to your pornography life, you are missing the whole picture that to be holy, and this is what God tells his people. He says, I want you to be holy because I am holy. You are my special people. He actually tells the children of Israel, you are not a people, but I made you a people. Why? Just so I could show favor on you. I just wanted to play favorites, and so I made a people who were not. I took a bunch of rocks that were dead. Even the rocks would cry out in my blood. I get what Jesus was talking about now. I was praying, and I was asking the Lord how to conclude this message. And there's so much I could still talk and preach about, but I'm trying to do good with my time these days. So. But if I could boil down a, a few things as we set a foundation for where we're gonna go for the next few weeks. When we talk about being consecrated, when we talk about being holy, what we're talking about, I even, when I had them, I don't know if they can see all these images on here, um, Levente, but when I had them make our graphics, I told James, I said, I want you to make it so that everything looks the same, there's just one that's colored differently. And the reason I wanted him to do that is because I wanted us to have this sense that we're not different from the world by the way that we look, dress, or even sing. We're we're different from the world by who we are. (laughs) That you can't tell a Christian until you press us. If you have the same reaction as all your other peers at school, as all your other peers in your job, you haven't walked in the beauty of his holiness. This is my last part. When I was asking the Lord, I was saying, Lord, how do I end this? And I just felt like the Lord was asking me the question of why holiness? And I, I know we want to be holy, and we want to be holy because he is holy, but does it serve us any purpose or does it serve God any purpose for us to be his set apart? Because that's what holiness means. It just means set apart, his special peculiar thing. And here's what I was reading in verse nine of Second Peter chapter two. Let me just read the whole verse again in verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why has he chosen you? Why has he made you a royal priesthood? Why are you peculiar? Why are you special? Look at that. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If I could paint any better picture of holiness, it's those stones that I showed you. That someone one day, while I was laying down common, unvaluable, darkened in my sin, Jesus walked by me one day and almost without my permission, just took this dead stone and lifted it and caused it to stand. So now when people are walking past the garden of my life and they see 
They, I, I was sitting with, this is a great example, I was sitting with some unbelievers. I love unbelievers. They are so much more honest than Christians. And I was sitting with a bunch of unbelievers and, and they knew I was a pastor, respected me as a pastor. But we had this deal. I said, if you let me be me, I want you to be you. So if you cuss, go for it, all right? I'm not offended by your lifestyle. I got enough Jesus in me to handle all your darkness, right? And so we're sitting down at this table and they're just talking about everything, sex and homosexuality and all this stuff. And they start talking about sex and um, I'm just quiet because I know my opinion and I know it ain't gonna be very popular. So nobody wants to hear it, so I'll just shut up. And they're talking and this is the funniest thing if you're a Christian. It's like, man, yeah, you gotta have sex. It's like, how do you know you love them if you don't have sex? And you know, as a Christian, I'm like, I, I know, pick, pick me. <laughs> and they just kept talking about it. And, they, and the, the women and men were both agreeing on it. They were like, yeah, you gotta test drive it. One of the guys said, he said, yeah, how do you know you wanna buy the car if you don't test drive it? And then one of the girls who wasn't a believer looked at me and goes, Dell, you look uncomfortable. And I wasn't, it's just my face. They were like, um, Del, what do you think? You think you got to test drive the women? Because you're a preacher and everything. And I looked at them and I said, um, because I'm a pastor, I don't want you to think that I am super special and have never sinned or messed up. I was grossly addicted, um, masturbated every day, addicted to pornography, had sex with over 200 people. And then I started sharing with them. I said, um, but when I became a Christian, even before I became a pastor, I started having a different perspective on intimacy and sex and love. And before I thought it was this, women were these cars that I had to test drive. And now I have a whole new revelation of women that I can't treat them like I treat cars. And I go on to tell him the story of when my friend was getting engaged and I said, you know, he's really, he's crazy wealthy. He talks about stuff I have no clue what he's talking about. That's how wealthy he is, right? And he's getting ready to get married and so we went to this ring or jewelry shop and um, when we walked in, they said, hey, Mr. So-and-so. And I was with them and they said, hey, come straight to the back. And I was thinking, I've gone to jewelry shops before. I've never gone straight to the back. What, what in the wealthy is this? <laughs> And we go to the back and there's this plush room with velvet everywhere and it's beautiful. They bring out champagne, Martinelli's. <laughs> and we're sitting back there relaxing and they bring out this like, it's this, I would have, I can't even afford the box. The box was gorgeous. It was this velvet and the most beautiful, hugest diamond rings I've ever seen. And you know, cause I'm from, I'm from the hood. I, I got questions. Here's my question. How come these, aren't out in the front. And she looked at me and she said, well, there are some things that are too precious and too valuable that we don't want to put them where everybody can just see them because why waste our time when they can't afford it? And I looked at this table and I said, um, to me, when I think about sex, there's not much that I can give my wife that I can't give any other woman. But there is this one precious thing that's not common that I want to save for my wife. So even though I've had sex, I want to be able to tell her Baby, I had sex and I wanted to keep having sex, but because I loved you and because of the value you were, I wanted to give you something that was not coming. By the time I was finished talking, the whole table, oh my gosh, what church do you go to? Like, no joke. It's like, what church are you part of? And nobody was offended. Why? Because somebody walked past my garden and all they saw was an area where God had taken a dead rock and stood it up. Being holy doesn't make me better than you. It just means that he's come and he's stood my rock up. 
And I don't know if there's an area in your life where you're struggling with holiness, you're struggling with being set apart. Maybe it's not sex and porn for you. Maybe it's culture. And, and trying to fit in and, and trying to be like everybody else. Maybe it's your social media page and God's been convicting you about how you present yourself and how it's not true. And he's trying to say, no, 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 I just want you to be secure in your identity. I want you to know who I am. I want you to be mine, be set apart and be holy. It's not just about sex. There's all these areas. It comes down to are you his special set apart one that looks like him? How do I look like him? The scripture refers to rapture, but it also refers to your prayer life. It says one day when we see him, we will be like him. And I found in the kingdom that wherever I set my eyes is what consumes me. When I look at my bills, Eric, and I look at the ministry and all that we have to finance, I get consumed. But when I look at him, I see eyes that blaze like fire. And I see skin that's been burned like bronze. I see hair white like wool and a tattoo of faithful and true on his side. When I look at him, peace overwhelms me because I start becoming who I'm beholding. Who are you beholding? How do I become holy? Just behold him. What about my behaviors and my actions? I, Listen, to somebody who was a pervert, I'm an ex-pervert. You got ex-cons, I was an ex-pervert. And I'm telling you the truth when I say I've gone years without having to fall back into the addiction. And half the time, I'm not even having to mentally be present or even try. It's just that I've spent time with him, that he's given me new desires. Do you want to be like him? Paul even tells the church, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The whole goal is that we be holy like he is holy. So God, there are some people who are watching and they've been isolated. They've been by themselves. And so there's areas of holiness that you actually even want to challenge in them, but they can't see it because they've withdrawn from community. I just sensed that so strong as I was preparing that many of you think that you are standing rightly before the Lord. And it's just that there's no challenge. There's no conflict in your life. So everything looks breezy, but there are still some areas that haven't been healed. Some areas that haven't been made whole. Some areas where you don't look like him. And God, those are the areas where I'm asking you to step in right now. God, it's not about the clothes that we wear or, or what we're showing. Or, no, no, that's not what holiness is. It's, Lord, we just want to be like you. And it's going to express itself in our dress. It's going to express itself in our song and how we live. But we want to start right here, God. Would you be the chief cornerstone of our heart? Would you just put your hand over your heart this morning? I know I've gone a little bit over time. But Chris and, and Jeremy, they're going to sing one more song. But with your hand over your heart, can you just take a moment and begin to pray? Maybe there's areas where you're not living rightly before the Lord. There's areas that are not aligned with his spirit where you don't look like him. Would you take a minute, just as your hand is over your heart, would you pray that God would make you holy as he is holy?
I just, um, I got this mental picture and I saw in my head many of you actually trying to take your stone and push it up yourself, even in prayer. And so as we were praying, some of you were thinking, these are the areas I got to work on. These are the areas I got to work on. And here's what the Lord's saying, put down the stone and let me do the work. It's not about changing your behavior. God is the God who catches and cleans fish. And so right now, we're going to pray one more time. I want you to take your focus off of your behavior and the external manifestations of the lack of holiness. For a moment, this is all I want you to think about. Because when you do that, when you start thinking, I just got to stop looking at porn. I just, I got to stop, you know, getting angry. I got to stop, all these things. You still focus on behavior and you're going to end up in condemnation when you don't meet your own standard. Here's what I want you to focus on. Jesus, I just want to be like you. I'm not, my focus is not trying to not be like everything else. Lord, my focus is on just being like you. So one more time, would you just look to the Lord and God, I pray that you would set our eyes on you in this season. God, the season of fasting and consecration and pray, I am, I'm believing that people are going to come closer to you than they've ever come before. And they're going to look more like you than they've ever looked before. I pray for that person who's struggling in condemnation, who's trying in their own works and righteousness to muster up holiness. God, would you give them a revelation of identity that you are the one who makes us holy, God, and not we in of, of ourselves. God, I break every ounce of striving. God, this thing is striving free. You are the one who chooses and makes us holy. And so God, for that person, even now, who's, they're having a hard time, God, I just sense it in my spirit. Would you break the hold that consecration has had, or that, that condemnation has had on their life? That it's not based on their works or behavior, but Lord, you love us in spite of the jacket we're wearing, in spite of the holes in our souls, that you died for us to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. So that, was a, that was a word. I hope that blessed you. We're starting the foundation this month. We're not officially as a church having a time of fasting and praying, but I do want to encourage you. I know I've had some of my leaders hit me up when they found out I was fasting and praying, and they said, hey, I want to join you, and I want to pray and fast with you, and I really, really encourage you to do it because I, we lost a lot of ground in 2020, but there's a principle in the scriptures that when a thief is caught, he has to pay back seven times that which he has stolen. And I keep telling folks, I'm going to make 2021 pay me back for everything that 2020 stole. And so I want to be fasted up. I want to be aligned with his spirit. I want to know his heart. There have been so many areas in ministry where I've moved in my own flesh. And I just, I want to be like him. I want to pastor like him. I want to preach. I want to lead like him. And so if you feel encouraged, if you want to join me, I'm fasting from the 3rd until the 24th for 21 days. Um, I'd love for you to be a part of that in your own special way. Other than that, I'd encourage you to join us next week for part two of this series called Set Apart on consecration and being holy. Let me bless us and pray us out of here. Um, oh, let me give us a quick reminder. Do we have, we just had virtual fellowship, right? We just had virtual fellowship. Do we have anything else coming up that people can be a part of?
We have a prayer meeting on the third Saturday of every month on the 16th, and it should be on the website at thecollide.com slash events, all the info's there. If you missed our virtual fellowship, because we're doing our best during COVID to make sure that we spend time with each other, please don't miss the other one. We play some fun games and get to know each other, and it's kind of a, a less scary, intimidating way to kind of kind of, because many of you have been saying like, oh, I don't know when to engage because it's online and it's kind of weird. Here's a great way to do it. I promise you, it's not threatening. It feels really good. And our family is just beautiful. With that said, let me bless us out and pray us out. God, I thank you for all that you're doing at Collide and the Church of the Bay Area. God, I just pray in this next season that you would keep our eyes set on you, God, in every area of our life, in direction, in purpose, in our marriages, in our families, God. Lord, we, we need to keep our eyes on you. And in this season, I, I know you're doing something special and you're looking for a bride that is spotless and without wrinkle. And so God, I just pray that we'll find ourselves in the middle of your heart, in the middle of your presence, becoming more like you. Set our eyes on you. Take our eyes off of the things that it's been fixed on and set our eyes on you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I love you, Collide. I will see you next Sunday for part two. Make sure you text a couple folks and I'll see you. God bless you. Awesome. Let me say a quick prayer for us who are here. Lord, um, you told us to not get weary in well-doing. But let me be honest, we can't help it. Sometimes in our flesh, Lord, we are tired. God, I pray that you would give us new strength. God, for those of us who are serving on a consistent basis week to week, God, I pray for a new strength that you would divinely set in us a supernatural ability to minister beyond our own strength, God. God, I thank you for this faithful crew from the intercessors to the sound and worship to the preachers and leaders, God. But I just, I pray that you would keep us near you, that we wouldn't forget our why, and that, Lord, in this season, that we would consecrate, that we really, these wouldn't just be messages. And I just sense that on my heart. Lord, don't let these be messages for us. Don't let these just be fellowships for us. But God, really shape us as a community, especially us as leaders who are here, God. Shape us into what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.